Greetings, this is Jim, and I'm going to do something a little bit different this time. I recently went and saw the last Hobbit movie, so having completed that, I felt a little bit conflicted. I really enjoyed all the movies, but I also wondered, do I really know enough about Tolkien to know whether or not I should be angry or pleased or what? And I wasn't sure. So I decided to myself, what I really want is to drag a bunch of Tolkien fans into a room and make them fight for my amusement. So that's pretty much what we're going to be doing here. We're going to be doing a discussion about Tolkien's work and the movies in particular and kind of do some comparison and contrast, get our feelings, our emotions out about it, and I'm just going to sort of toss the ball out and see what happens. So to go around and introduce everyone, we have Richard Rowland with Grapple Gun Publishing. He is currently pursuing a graduate degree in Tolkien Studies. Hello, sir. Howdy. We have Denise Lehman. She is a writer and animation student, and she is also on AccessoriesNotIncluded.com, and she's currently working on a superhero fairy tale mashup, which also sounds exciting. Hello. Hiya. And we also have Kimmy with GoldenLasso.net. She's also one of the hosts of the Happy Jacks RPG podcast. Hello. Hi. Happy to be here. And finally, we have someone I'm fairly familiar with, John with Crucible of Realms, one of those other podcasts that I do. Hello. Howdy, howdy. I want to first just talk about some general impressions folks might have had from the Hobbit movies and just sort of overall feelings that you've had. And I'd like to actually start with Kimmy because I know that she has had a great deal of Hobbit rage building up over possibly the last several years and has not had the opportunity to talk about it. So, uh, yes, how did you feel about the movies? Um, I, I despise them, to be completely Aww. honest. Only the Hobbit films. Lord of the Rings is a completely separate thing. And I actually have not. I've refused to see the last one. And it's like my little tiny way of, like, I don't know, protesting. Rebelling. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, the Hobbit book is really close to my heart. It's always meant a lot to me. And actually... When I was an English teacher, it was something that I read every year with my students. So I actually have about 40 copies of The Hobbit because I had to have a class set. But a lot of the changes just really bother me. And I feel like it kind of has lost the spirit of the original work. Well, yeah, and I'm actually going to get into that uh, in a little bit, just sort of questions about how folks felt stuff from the original was used. But you saw the previous two. What was your reaction when you when you were looking at those? Gosh, okay, the first few minutes of the first one, I was kind of like, oh, it's nice to be back in Middle Earth. I'm excited about this. This is great. And then I, like, kind of, like, that was the peak. And then there were, like, (laughs) there were a couple of moments, like, when I really was enjoying it, and it would, like, click back and sync with the book, or I'd see um, the way that they created a character that I really, like, really liked. But then there'd be moments where they just, like, swerve completely off the book for not, like, a logical reason. Because there definitely have to be changes to a story when something is, you know, adapted for a movie. But there was just a lot of, well, we think it's better this way. And that's the part that really gets me. Yeah, I can totally see that. John, what did you think about the movies? So speaking of for The Hobbit... (laughs) And not, not again. I'll, I'll separate the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit because um, you have to. Yeah, I, I, the <laughs> totally, that, they're very different. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. <laughs> and and splitting, taking what is a really relatively small book and and splitting into three movies, that was a red flag for me early on. Yeah. Um, but I was willing to set that aside. I know this is Hollywood. This is money. That's you know the big driver there. But again, you had to. There are things that you had to do. The dwarves had to be given separate personalities because if you read the book, the dwarves are mostly mute. Yeah, just kind of a cluster of the <laughs> same person. Right. And and so when uh, you know they had to had to do that, and that, <coughs> it was not a 
bad effort, but it wasn't. <laughs> I, it's not. I, I saw them all. I was happy to see them all just because I, I, I love Tolkien. And so I loved it for those pieces of Tolkien that kind of shined through when, when, when they did show up on the screen. And there were a lot of nice little Easter eggs because they pulled stuff out of the Silmarillion. They pulled stuff out of the Lord of the Rings that, you know, never got told. The, you know, that was ignored out of stuff that was explained in the, in the Lord of the Rings that they pulled that back in. Um, so that when, you know, we went to Dol Guldur and, you know, Saruman and Gandalf and, uh, and Elrond and Galadriel all show up there to drive off Sauron, that stuff happened, but we didn't know about that until the Lord of the Rings, but it never got explained to the Lord of the Rings. But that's my next complaint because the Lord of the Rings butchered my favorite chapter, which the Council oh, of Elrond. Uh, <laughs> um, and the Council you know, of Elrond. John, the fact that Council of Elrond is your favorite chapter, we have a whole level of kinship now. <laughs> <laughs> like that that tells me that tells me something about you as a Tolkien nerd, and you have my deep respect. So okay, anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, that, that's uh, when I saw the. Well, we can get into that when we talk about the Lord of the Rings. But but the Council of yeah. Elrond was. That pivotal chapter, and, and I don't know how how many people have told me when they were talking about reading the Lord of the Rings to skip the Council of Elrond, and because I don't know why, but at any rate, yeah. But oh, yeah anyway, well, they, so coming back yeah. around to the Hobbit, there were a lot of that stuff that that came from the Council of Elrond. That okay, that was it was neat to see, but it doesn't really reflect what the book was. So, like I said, I liked it for the pieces of Tolkien that shine through, but as as a general rule, it was good, not great. There seems to be a little bit of a theme here. I'm going to jump on in a moment with differences in adaptation from the two different trilogies, but first I want to finish getting some general impressions here. Denise, what were your impressions? So, okay, <laughs> I enjoyed the first two Hobbit movies. I really did. I, I liked them. I liked what they did with them. You know, and coming from reading the book, where they explained a lot more and they tried to tie it in with, with the rest of the Lord of the Rings movies and in so doing with the book, I thought, I thought it was great because, you know, you don't get that tie-in between the, the book series. You, you just don't. You, you have the ring that goes from one book to the next book and Bilbo, and then it's like, okay, we have all this other stuff that we're going to explain in the Lord of the Rings. That never gets explained in The Hobbit, and then you have to go back to the Cimmerillion to actually read if you can Read the. I have to listen to <laughs> Cimmerillion. God help me. <laughs> but I think from an animation student perspective, and and from learning how to write screenplays and everything, I was not as happy with the third Hobbit movie. I mean, I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong, but I kind of feel like it was called in a little bit. It was like, okay, we have to make a third movie, so we're just we're gonna mash all of it in. It's like me when I was trying to write my first book. It was like I've got all these great ideas, but in execution, they really don't make any sense and they don't help. And I, and I kind of, I, I felt really not disappointed leaving the theater. I, I was disappointed because, you know, it was the end of the Hobbit series and it was the end of the Middle Earth brought to the screen. So in that, I was disappointed. But I was more disappointed that Jackson and his team didn't do the Hobbit as much justice as they could have done in the third movie. Mm. That was my big, really, guys? And then my personal pet peeve with the adaptation was when they gave Tariel a, actually a character, when they created Tariel, she was great. She was a character. She she was this whole thing. And they crapped on her in the third movie. And they gave her the love interest motivation. I was like, she's Tariel. 
she kicks so much ass. What are you doing? This is this is please, yeah. this is what happened. So and she didn't seem to have a lot of agency. She really did not. And and I get the Killy thing. I get it. And it it broke my heart. Oh God, no, why? But with her and and Thranduil at the end, and it was just like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Shakespeare's rolling over in his grave right now. And <laughs> I so feel like that in. dialogue was written in the for yes. that scene was written by like some kid on Tumblr. That's what? how it felt about it. <laughs> I was like, exactly how it felt. Yeah, I want to go find Thranduil's Tumblr now, but uh, I will respond. My, um, I'm going to be starting that Richard. while we talk. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Richard, what did you think? <sighs> okay, so let me just say first of all, I'm not a hater. I went, <laughs> I went and saw. I actually went to um, pre-screenings of the last two films. So, which is not the action of a hater. Like, if you just think it's, you know. So, I really wanted this trilogy to be amazing. Like, especially the last movie, it was really important to me that it be good because it's our last time that we're going to see Middle Earth on film, probably for a long time. If Christopher Tolkien has anything to say about that, and he does. Yeah. Um, Christopher Tolkien, for those of you who don't know, not a huge fan of the films, especially the Hobbit films. So okay. that said, I'm not a hater. Let me point out some things I really liked. Mm-hmm. Riddles in the Dark. The Riddles in the Dark scene in the first Hobbit film. Yeah. Was awesome. Yeah. Like, and it's the awesome. casting of Martin Freeman for Bilbo was great. Mm-hmm. So that said, the Riddles in the Dark scene, excellent. Sure. Um, there were a couple of other moments that I thought were really pretty good um, that, that got us close to capturing the magic of the book. Like, the book is a children's book, so it, totally it should be different from The Lord of the Rings. Now, that said, those moments were not nearly as often as I would have liked. And what I felt that there was in the first movie a little bit, and then more in the second movie, and then just basically the entire third movie, was this continual shift towards how much spectacle can we put on screen? So in the first movie, in the first movie, you've got this scene fighting in the Misty Mountains, and basically it's like the most improbable physics you can imagine. All right, compare, (laughs) compare to the Moria scene in The Fellowship of the Ring. Just think about that. The Moria scene in The Fellowship of the Ring, you have a party that's made up of at least four of the most valiant warriors in Middle-earth, plus Gandalf, and they kill between them not even half the orcs that a bunch of, according to the Hobbit, toy makers kill in that Misty Mountain scene. The Misty Mountain scene is just ridiculous. So I was a little disappointed with that, but I was like, okay, but but we're going to get to see Bjorn in the next movie, and the Riddles in the Dark was pretty good, and there's going to be some other stuff I'm going to like. So then we get to the second film. In the second <laughs> film, the second film we have the second film we have elves killing spiders in Mirkwood, which I was like, okay, that's, that was a pretty cool scene. Oh, don't forget the picture of Gimli as a little kid. And then, oh yeah, that was okay. Whatever, you know, if you want to make little in references to Jackson, that's that's okay. But then. We got to Legolas dancing on the heads of dwarves shooting us. <laughs> yeah. Like, and at that point, I mean, at that point, something in me began to long for the days when we made fun of Legolas shield surfing down Helm's Deep, right? Right. <laughs> My wife and I just recently finished rewatching the extended two towers, and that scene didn't even seem ridiculous to me now compared to what Legolas was doing in the last Hobbit film. Okay, and so then, at the end of the second film is where the magic was broken for me, like completely gone. And that was because they need a three-hour movie, basically, Mm -hmm. you have a 45-minute chasing through Erebor with Smaug. Completely unnecessary, added zero to the plot, didn't actually end up accomplishing anything, except Peter Jackson needs spectacle. And it looked terrible, like awful CGI. It looked so bad. Yeah. Okay, and so then we got to... (laughs) 
Then we got to the third movie, and the third movie was nothing but about 20 minutes of not very good dialogue, and then just basically, you know, this is our last Middle Earth movie. How much spectacle can we possibly pack into this? We've got Legolas doing Matrix scenes. We've got, like, whole extra stuff that's added, mostly just because we want to add it. And then, as somebody just said, they take the character of Tariel, who I like, although she was she is no Eowyn. They take the character of Tariel, and I have some problems. Uh, maybe we'll get to talking more about adaptations in a moment, so I'm going to save these problems. I have some problems with the love story between Tariel and Kiwi. Absolutely. That I'm not going to get into okay. right here, but we'll, we'll talk about, and yeah. it's maybe not the problems you're expecting, but maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> but I have some problems with the love story between Tariel and Keeley, but I was like, okay, maybe they're just, just going to be like a flirtatious thing. And then, no, basically they took a reasonably cool character that they introduced in the second movie, which I'm fine with if you want to introduce extra characters. Like, I don't think it's necessary, but if you want to do it. And they really just really severely neutered her. That's how I felt. Like, I felt like she was not the interesting character that she could have been at that point. So to say the last movie really left me with kind of a bad taste in my mouth and the taste was it was all about the spectacle and it stopped being about the characters it stopped being about the story and it stopped being about middle earth well and i think we know that would have that we all knew that was going to happen the minute it was going to be a three movie thing because it's it's a pretty short book if you if you compare like the lord of the rings trilogy which is you know a pretty massive set of books and that became three movies there is no logical yes. reason that The Hobbit, which is smaller than any one of those books, became three movies in so, and of itself. And my, my argument, if you want to say the reason we didn't put, for instance, Tom Bombadil in The Lord of the Rings is because we didn't feel like it added enough to the story and it was going to take up too much time, I think it's a fair argument. However, that is no longer a happen after The Hobbit trilogy. If you could <laughs> add if you could add two movies so, worth of unnecessary content, you could have put Tom Bombadil in The Fellowship I, of the Ring. That's all I'm saying. Amen. Amen. I would point out that it was not Peter Jackson's intention to make a three-part movie series with The Hobbit. He wanted to do two movie series, but the studio, Warner Brothers yes. Studios, if you right. notice, they have their big shield doohickey thing. It's like the most prominent thing that you see on the screen in the introduction. They wanted to do a three-part movie series. And the Tariel thing, because I, I, I do this for school, I find these things out. The Tariel thing is because Hollywood, and I will say this and I will take a stand on it, Hollywood is afraid of women not falling in love in movies because it has to happen. And they are afraid if a woman does not fall in love in a movie, people won't watch the movie. That's why they put such a stressor mm. on Tariel and Keeley, and then even with the love triangle on Legolas, because the studio wanted it. Every single one of those actors fought against it, but they put it in there because the studio mm-hmm. mandated it. Yeah. So. Uh, this is interesting in that I am slightly crestfallenly starting to feel a slight comparison with uh, episodes one through three of Star Wars. I really hope we don't get there. Like, I, oh, I, hope, it's not, I hope it's not that bad. I mean, yeah. I need a little more distance from it. To know. Oh, uh, it's the the spectacle thing, though. I mean, you're right. It's the the thing is when when you're talking about. Uh, I will just mention that a moment in the first movie, in the first Hobbit movie, when reality broke for me, and I wondered if I had taken some acid without realizing it, <laughs> was when we got the seventh Doctor on a rabbit sled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I liked Radagast. I, I, okay. I oh, okay. You know what? I feel like I felt like at first I was like, "What the heck?" And then I was like, "You know what?" 
it's a children's story. If they want to have a rabbit sled, I might have room for that. Like, if that had been my only objection, then I would have been quite pleased. You know, I was able to fit it in eventually. I sort of, uh, I, but I, could I, I molded un- over and I, I was not, able to get there. I could not unsee him as the seventh doctor, though. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that was... <laughs> that <laughs> was I mean, like, I, I love Sylvester yeah, McCoy, but uh, okay, it's just uh, one of those things where I'm I don't, just like... I don't, know, I don't know if any of you guys growing up ever watched any of, like, the BBC Narnia miniseries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the people and puppets. By the way, I still love those. But in the silver chair, they yes. have the fourth doctor um, as they have the fourth doctor as Puddleglum. And in my head, this is like a multiverse thing. And like <laughs> the doctor is Puddleglum in some. <laughs> and I really want that to be a thing. Mm. So anyway, you see, so you see now we can uh, now we can just assume that that's what the caretaker did before he went to the museum. Okay. I, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> In any Shakespeare plays, the tenth Doctor is King Richard. He just sure. he is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you see, uh, now uh, I'm sure other moderators would shun this turning into talking about Doctor Who, but I am not such a moderator. <laughs> that said, though, sadly we must get back on topic, and this has come up a lot in the conversation, so I want to go straight to it. I just wanted to see how we feel about how the Lord of the Rings trilogy did as an adaptation versus the Hobbit trilogy. What do you guys think? I personally, okay, so I personally really, really, really enjoyed the Lord of the Rings. The only reason why I read the books, and y'all are going to hate me, and I know you are, but the only reason why I read the books was because of the Fellowship of the Ring. I watched the first movie. I had to know what happened in the book. And by the second book, I wanted Frodo absolutely dead. Oh, my God. He's dead. (laughs) Seriously. Good Lord. If he complained one more time, I was going to throw the book down. Anyway, so I finished the books. And then I got to see the movies. And it for me, it just it reinforced the books for me. And I get I get the anger with the Tom Bombadil thing. I do. I get it. I well, it's it's not anger. It's uh, hey, you it, you know, it's again, it's yeah. Yeah. No, I and I understand it. I completely do. And I also I, I kind of also get the argument that well, you know, we had to progress the story forward. Sure. Like, sure. Okay. No, yeah. That's when you're making a film adaptation. That's the kind of thing that you have to do. And I'm yeah. I'm and, and and you know conceptually, I'm all right with that. Um. As far as, for me, I absolutely love the movies. I like the books better, but I love the movies. So I came to Tolkien when I was about eight years old. I accidentally found The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings in an attic. And uh, that just left there by, like, I guess the previous owners of the house or something. So that's when I read them, and it was a while before the movies came out. So when the movies came out, I was pretty excited. I enjoyed the movies. I feel like there are many characters who are much stronger characters in the book that I would like to have seen them strong in that same way in the films. Denethor. Uh, The character Uh, of Denethor is a much more nuanced character in the books than he is in the films. Yeah. And Theramir, actually, as well. Specifically, those two bothers me the most. I think they're much more yeah. compelling and interesting characters in the book than they are in the film, and it wasn't really necessary to neuter them the way that they did to fit in the same amount of time or whatever. I think the casting of the Lord of the Rings movies is some of the best casting I have ever seen. Specifically, Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. When I read the books, I, I still envision most of the characters the way that I envisioned them the first time I read the books before the movies came out. But when I read The Lord of the Rings, Viggo Mortensen is Aragorn in my head, and he was magnificent. Yeah. He was great. I like the original films quite a bit. Yeah. I agree. Like, I'm on the same exact page where I love the books better, but I really love the movies. 
And Denethor is a great example of a character that they really simplified. They needed a villain in that part. And while he's not necessarily a villain in the stories, he's right. got, you know, he's got so many things, he has so many obligations that he's, tr- and he's trying to uphold this huge history and not fail. So he's got all this weight on him that's, that's really nuanced, like you said in the book, that they just yeah. had to have a kind of a bad guy for that part of the movie. So they simplified him, which is too bad, but, you know, there's one that's part of the movie. Yeah, and you have to do that. Like, um, Arwen having a lot more stuff to do in the movie. Like, that had to happen. Happen because otherwise there's like a five minute love scene and like we already talked about women can't be in movies unless they fall in love and plus she actually does stuff then other than sitting at a nice banquet so they did a lot of changes that like I can see why they did them and and it's, it's you know it's acceptable because they had to cut stuff for time you know they're cramming three books long books into three movies there were a few things that and, and there's definitely a pattern to my my nerd rage about Lord of the Rings. The same sort of things that upset me and Lord of the Rings are what infuriate me into The Hobbit because they happen more often. For example, like everybody I know has heard me rant at least once about the Battle of Helm's Deep and how the elves show up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love the people. Yeah, and I love elves. They were, like, my big thing. Like, I used to role-play online with an elven guild, and I could type in Quenya and all this stuff. But just them showing up at Helm's Deep, like, that's, like, a pivotal moment in Middle-earth history. Humans are stepping up. Man is stepping up for the first time and really trying to take center stage and defend themselves when they've relied on other races for so long. And the elves are basically like, you know, we're out. Like, this isn't our fight anymore, other than a couple of them who choose to partake. You know, they're just trying to go back to Valinor and survive. So the fact that they threw elves in there, tons of elves end up dying. And I don't know, it just seems to kind of dilute the power of that. I'm always sort of unsure whether I'm more upset or, I mean, like, put off by the elves showing up or the elves dying. Like, it's hard for me to separate the emotional. Like, I hate watching, I hate watching the elves get killed. Like, it's just, yeah. Yeah, how they really got their all into that. Oh, man, poor guy. And and Haldir was, like, really powerful. I mean, they talked about how he was one of the people that could ride against the nine. Oh, that was Glorfindel, you're thinking, I think. Oh, okay, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, Yeah, they left Glorfindel, like, completely out, I think. Yeah, they they flipped it around. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think we just dodged a big bullet that the state took Arwen out of that fight scene because I think that would just have like tipped it over the scales. For yeah, me. I think that would have. I think I, yeah, that would have been pretty bad. Um, I have to say <laughs> that the character of Eowyn in the films is so spot on with the character yeah. of Eowyn in the books. Absolutely. Um, I, again, what I what I said about Tariel, I feel like, and again with Tariel, and I think it. I think that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that that failed for me was Eowyn was such a great character. And every time I read the books or watch the movie, I just fall in love with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway. Well, she has such a strong base. I mean, Eowyn had such a strong base in The Lord of the Rings. You already had the character laid out for her. The fact that, and I applaud the fact that Peter Jackson and his team went back and said, okay, we're going to make this female character because without her, you know, we basically have a bunch of dudes running around and we're losing our female base. So not not losing, but we run in danger of losing. Sure, so they're sure. they're trying to cater. And I understand that. But they didn't have and, and this is really unfortunate because I as far as I know, they had some pretty talented people sitting in the writing booth. They didn't have that strong base that Tariel really needed to stand up as a character on her own. And damn it, I did not want her at the end of The Hobbit, to be like, oh my god, I just lost my love, and that's it, die. I was just like, come on, <laughs> man. Give us that character. Give us that Eowyn in The Hobbit movie. And they failed on that. And, right. and it bummed me out. Completely bummed me out. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have to wonder, and you folks just saying this just now has uh, kind of sparked this question in my brain, and it may be utterly off-base, but do you think that, just adaptation-wise, 
there may have been too many elves in the whole thing. Do you think they should have been rarer than they are well, yeah. in the movies? As far as I understood it, the elven race was taken a step back. They're like, dude, we're out. We're done. We're getting out of Middle Earth. We're going away. This isn't happening. So to have so many elves kind of really did seem odd. It's like, well, y'all are, you guys are getting out of Middle Earth. Then how are you able to raise an army? And I personally, I wanted it to be more like in the books, whereas man was stepping up and saying, you know, this is our time, we're going to take care of Middle-earth, and we're going to fight this ultimate evil, so on and so forth. The fact that so many elves were brought in, it was almost like a, I don't want to say deus ex machina, but almost, you know, it, it, it had that feel, yeah. like, we're going to save you, Here, here's the magic carpet, we're going to fly off, and we're... Now a chorus of elves has been waiting off stage. Let's yeah. bring it on <laughs> to, me, it, it, to me, it felt like, oh, they know elves are popular, and they're pretty, so they keep yeah, putting that's, in there. That's, I would say more than deus ex machina, it felt like a little like pandering. Yeah. yeah. It's the World of Warcraft argument. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Legolas was very popular out of those first couple movies. And oh, yeah. He got to do all the and cool... He was awesome. pretty boy. He was the pretty boy that yeah. got to do the cool stunt work, I guess you would call it. But, yeah. and, that, and that sort of leads me to one of my bigger problems, is Gimli became total comic relief. Yes. Uh, and, yes. and that bothered me to no end. And that was like... You know, he was one of, I wouldn't say he's my favorite character or anything, but I liked him, and I liked him as a character, and it was just jokey Gimli. And okay, so fun. since we're bringing up Gimli, can I talk real quick about one of my biggest yeah. beasts with the Kiwi Tariel love story? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We've been waiting to hear it. All right, here we go, here it goes. <laughs> this is going to be a whole can of worms, by the way. So. Here it goes. So, <laughs> elves and dwarves historically do not get along. Specifically, wood elves and dwarves, Sindarin elves and dwarves, and Sylvan elves and dwarves do not get along. And there's a very long history about this, that basically, and this is in the Silmarillion, which I'm actually currently leading a study through, at some point, Thranduil, who's the king of the elven realm of Mirkwood, was originally the son of one of the noblemen of an elven realm called Doriath which is in a part of Middle-earth called Beleriand, which is sunk under the sea. In any case, the king of Doriath, who was single, um, and who was mar actually married to Meli the Maya, who was like on level with Gandalf for power. Yeah, um, like so, basically demigods. Yeah, yeah, basically demigods. So the dwarves kill Thingol, and they attack and raid, and they kill a bunch of noble elves, and then um, on their way back, they are basically waylaid by Baron One Hand and a bunch of Wood Elves and also a bunch of Ents. And so there's this really long-standing hurt and hatred between specifically Wood Elves and Dwarves. So when Legolas and Gimli basically become best friends in The Lord of the Rings, that's a really big deal. Yeah. Something else that's a big deal, though, is that there is a case where a dwarf falls in love with an elven woman. Not romantically in love, which I think it's sort of sad that Hollywood doesn't seem to think that there's any other kind, but that's another yeah. thing. Yeah. That's, that's another thing. But Gimli falls in love with Galadriel, and he calls her the lady, and he says, I will call nothing else fair, save it be her gift to me. And he is really, really in love with Galadriel. Again, not romantically, but it's it's almost this courtly love, if you can think of it in that way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the that's what it was. What did he but threaten? Aomir, wasn't it? He threatened right, Aomir. Threatened Aomir. In fact, there's this great moment at the end of the Return of the King when in the book when Aomir and Gimli are having a discussion about who is more beautiful, Galadriel or Arwen, in a good moment. But, but anyway, so all that to say, that does happen. But the fact that it happens is hugely unusual and it's hugely extraordinary yeah. and to make it happen beforehand with Keeley and then make it just this sort of little puppy love kind of a thing instead of the more nuanced feelings that 
Gimli has for Galadriel really cheapens the whole Gimli-Galadriel thing, and that really bothers mm. me. Yeah. yeah, I kind of have the same feeling about it. Elven women falling in love with mortal men is kind of a, a big deal in Tolkien's world, and it doesn't happen very often. We have two big examples of it. We have Baron and Luthien from um, the Silmarillion, and they're kind of like the ultimate love story. In fact, Tolkien um, and his wife's grave have the names Baron and Luthien on them because it's such a, a, a deep, you know, meaningful story to him. And then a kind of sort of pale reflection of that later on is Arwen and Aragorn. So again, like the, the elven lady falls in love with a very noble powerful mortal man and it's a big deal and to kind of have that happen again just for movie sake kind of I don't know it cheapened it for me yeah and and for me and and like I said when you want to go into animation for a living and when you want to go into movie making for a living you you really you start to learn why Hollywood does the things that it does and you know for me it it felt like straight pandering in the second Hobbit movie I enjoyed the back and forth between Keeley and Tariel, and I was like, oh, this, you know, this is fun because we already have the back on it from The Lord of the Rings. We've got Legolas and Gimli, which was great. But to have the sort of like almost, I don't want to say Romeo and Juliet, but that's the closest example I can think of right now. The, the almost Romeo and Juliet between Tariel and Keeley, it's like, why did that even need to happen? Why did Tariel, all of a sudden, her entire motivation need to be Keeley, even though she could have very, very well left him in the second Hobbit movie to follow Legolas and say, you know, we've got a bigger threat out here. I'm sorry, dude, you're going to have to die. And I could have accepted that. It would have sucked, but it meant, it would have meant that she had her own agency, that she made her own choice. And then in the third movie, she could have become this great character that would have probably gone on to do even more things. You know what I mean? It's like they stole the agency away from her all because the studio wanted it to happen. And that's where I think yeah. one of the biggest fails for me came from. The studio wanted it to happen. None of the actors wanted it to happen. But the studio, because they bankrolled it, had to have it happen. And, and that was just such a bummer. It felt like they became slaves to the, I guess it's a call back. It's really a call forward, of course. But it's like, oh, we're going to have all these parallels between Lord of the Rings and this movie. Yeah. But a lot of times for no really, no really good reason. Right. Yeah, they, they took a children's book and they made it Lord of the Rings light is really what they did. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. How did you guys feel about seeing The Hobbit sort of in the context of all the Lord of the Rings lore? That's something that I'd never experienced before. So I was very curious to see how it went. I know for me it came out okay. It was sort of an interesting thought exercise, but I don't know. I don't know fully how I feel about it. What do you guys think? You mean like the inclusion of the appendices stuff in The Hobbit? Absolutely. Um, I actually really enjoyed pieces of that. I didn't mind the meshing of it. The seeing the White Council, even though that seems very different than you know what we know from the actual appendices, it was interesting. I, I really didn't like Galadriel's dress in that outfit in that particular <laughs> scene, though. By the way, I'm just gonna well, say I don't know why she had like glitter sequins on it, but it really bothered. Me. It is not canon. <laughs> yeah. Well, and she they just did such an amazing job with Lord of the Rings. They have a they had a different costume designer on the the, the Hobbit movies, and so I have a little bit of yeah. discrepancy there. As you know, I, I like costumes, so I noticed. But um, so some of the appendices things I think really added to the story. So those were changes that I didn't necessarily mind because they're still kind of from Tolkien's world, and I thought they they added backstory that was needed. A couple of the things like um, like Radagast facing the necromancer, you know, were kind of even though the necromancer is mentioned, he isn't act there. Like no battle like that is described ever, and actually his appearance is never described. So that was kind of an interesting thing. I see why they did that. Visual, um, you know 
know, movies are a visual media. You have to be able to have a bad guy you can see. So I see yeah. why they did that. But, the, you know, just, there's something. Like, I really didn't think Radagast needed, like, poop on his face. That really bothered me. <laughs> I, I love Sylvester McCoy, but, yeah. He, yeah. That was one of those pieces where it's like his his inclusion, although that was it was sort of nice to see a Radagast, I guess you would say, because he's there. Um, and we, <laughs> We know we know if you read the book, you know yeah, he's there. He's there, but well, not in the Hobbit, but no. in, in, no. in the Lord of the Rings, you know of him. But I think for me, it, it was looking at it objectively and looking at it trying to tell a story on a screen. Like you said, it, you have to have certain things. Radagast's inclusion created that framing device so you could make the link between what's going on in Mirkwood and Sauron coming back. He he was that visual link with enough backstory that it's like okay. He he represents what's going on in Mirkwood and what's going on with Sauron, and he is the secondary story that Peter Jackson and his team included so they could tie it back into the Lord of the Rings. I actually, I enjoyed a lot of the appendices that they put into The Hobbit. I thought, you know, I thought a lot of it was done really well. Um, I, I enjoyed seeing these stories unfold in, in such a way. And I <laughs> I actually liked Radagast. I thought he was great. <laughs> Yeah, for me, it was a really a fun inclusion. And you guys are probably getting sick of me saying or hearing, hearing this. <laughs> but for me, I was like, well, OK, I, I get that, you know, Tolkien had this whole world and, you know, and, and stuff like that. I was like, well, Radagast is, is representing nature. I was like, well, why can't Radagast be a chick? Yeah. <laughs> like, that is my personal feeling. But I was like, well, you know, we we got such a dude fest here. Why can't we have Radagast as a chick? Mother nature, ha ha. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Ah. I thought it would have been an interesting way to take it. Yeah. Mm. I think I think my, my problem with Radagast, and while, you know, I can see why they, they needed also some humor put in there, is kind of my same problem that we were talking about with Gimli earlier and a lot of the dwarves and the Hobbit, is they end up being comic relief. Yeah. And so you have this noble race of dwarves that end up always being comic relief because they're short. But then you also you have uh, Radagast, who, while he's a little different than the other Istari it's mentioned, like, he's one of the Istari, which are basically like the angels of Middle-earth. They have, like, crazy powers. They call, You know, they're called wizards, but if you really read the, the Silmarillion, they basically are sent from the elven gods. They're, they're angels. Not, angels is, a, is like a comparison. They're not actually angels, but that's kind of like yeah. a, right. a parallel. But so you've got these like another set of like super noble, while they are definitely different and set apart and have their quirks, like you have another really noble being brought down for comic exactly. relief. Yeah. So that's interesting. Uh, have you guys heard the uh, the BBC radio adaptation of Lord of the Rings by any chance? I've heard bits of it, not all of it. I mentioned that because uh, there's something I I remembered I found kind of interesting and weird is that Radagast is in that. Radagast has a spots uh, in Lord of the Rings, but... Does does he actually appear? I can't remember. Yeah, it's very briefly, it's him telling Gandalf that he needs to go see Saruman. Um, It's just sort of interesting how they kind of pulled stuff in like that. So, in an ideal world... Uh, what do you folks think should have happened if they were going to adapt The Hobbit? I know we were talking about a two-movie thing. Uh, anyone want to elaborate on that? Like I said, I think in an ideal world, The Hobbit should have been two movies. And 
only because I really rail against the fact that people think that you can do The Hobbit in one movie. I mean, I'm sure that you can. I'm pretty sure that you can. But a lot of it, I think, would be lost. A lot of people's favorite parts would be lost because there is a time limit. I mean, there there is. You're never going to get around it. With a two-movie Hobbit movie, you would have still had the spectacle. You would have still had your favorite characters, you know, you would have, you, you would have still had a lot of the stuff that what made the first two movies, if not good, at least, you know, enjoyable, but without the George Lucas complex is, is yeah. the best yeah. way that I can put it, you know, <laughs> without the studio stepping in and saying, no, it has to be bigger. It has to be better. It's like, okay, look guys, seriously, you, 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 you created this really ridiculously awesome dragon. And I just, I fell in love with Smaug. I'm sorry. For that, for me, it just made my little CG heart go, oh, my God, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you made this giant dragon that probably cost you more than $2 million to make, and you want more of a spectacle? What are you, high? Come on. <laughs> Seriously, are, are you well, high? <laughs> too, too much of the halfling. For me, but. that one, what threw me off was they foreshadowed in the second one that he was going to use that big crossbow thing. Yeah, the windlass. Yeah. The windlass, and then didn't use it. Like. <laughs> So in the, and so it's like, okay, I understand. In the book, Smog wasn't that big. There's, there's no way he could have been that big because an arrow, a regular arrow took him down. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was one of those pieces I was going, well, but you foreshadowed that in, in the second movie. And, okay, now we're going to do some weird Hawkeye thing from the... <laughs> <laughs> Right, wait, a Hawkeye thing with a Legolas lookalike. Right. Yes. <laughs> and that is the I thing. think the movie could have benefited with Hawkeye in it, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> he did look a lot like Orlando Bloom. I had... He did. I, yeah. I really think in a perfect world they could have made it two movies. And it, it bummed me out. I wanted, and, and I know in The Hobbit the, the main thing was the Battle of the Five Armies and Bilbo's, air quotes, betrayal of Thorin with the Arkenstone. Mm. It did not need to be as long as it did. It didn't. I mean, in my perfect little world, the climactic point between the two movies would have been the end of movie one, Smog going after Lake Town. Beginning of movie two, Smog gets destroyed. We have the Battle of the Five Armies. It's not nearly as big as it was. It ends. Everybody goes home crying because, oh, my God, Middle Earth is over. Yeah. That's my take on it. That's all that needed to happen. The, the giant spectacle, the, the battles and everything. No. Invention of goats appearing out of nowhere to ride dwarves up the... Yeah, yeah the, the war pigs or the war goats. I, I need to use that somewhere in a book. War goat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me, it would be the same. Like, I, I definitely think the length of the movie. But since it's already been mentioned, I'm going to mention staying true to who the characters are in the book, whether they have to change the length or not. I feel like Thorin, they just kind of butchered him in The Hobbit. He, he wasn't as noble. Like, he was kind of like, I don't know. There was just something that you didn't like about him. And he finally, like, does the whole Bilbo saves him from the albino orc, which is also just craziness. <laughs> and then they, like, have their bromance moments. And but yeah. it's just, like, it's just, like, a very odd thing, the way they tweaked some of the characters to, to fit into what their story was. Like, and Legolas is kind of a jerk in this movie. And he, he seems almost younger in Lord of the Rings than he does in this movie. In this movie, he's kind of got, like, this bitter complex you know he's kind of loving from afar and and bitter about it I, don't, I just feel like they they really miss the mark on the characters themselves which are really what make what is basically essentially a children's book last all these years and still be loved by adults of all ages as well yeah that whole loving from afar thing did not need to happen oh my oh, god no. seriously <laughs> yeah it did not need to happen legolas just 
no. Okay, yeah. no. <laughs> no. Off in some other way. John, did you have any other? Uh, <laughs> was there something there that you were? We, uh, well, uh, I, the, as as discussed, the spectacle. There were pieces when Tolkien stuff shined through. Wonderful, but weird inclusions of things like fighting smog with making a giant gold statue. Right. And the barrel scene, the entire barrel thing, all of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah the, it went on too long. It, it went mm. long. As, as much as I love the rotating battle barrel, that was a great part. <laughs> it's still, it, I mean, it, it just, that, I think out of the entire barrel, that was my favorite, uh-huh. the battle barrel. <laughs> Incidentally, uh, Barrel Battle is going to be the title of my next concept album. <laughs> but Sorry, we cut, you, we cut you off, though. Go ahead and finish your, your thought. Right, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it just, it went on too long. It did. The barrel scene went on too long. The The gold... Thing that just it's like guys come on <laughs> although i i do love smog i mean i'm i'm so in love with smog i've got a smog funko and he's just my favorite <laughs> it, it was the cg it was and i want to point out that smog is a wyvern he's not a dragon dragons have four legs wyverns do the bat thing where they walk on their wings irritation anyway <laughs> hmm. i have to talk yes. to uh Martin. Yeah. damn it <laughs> I gotta go look in my monster manual. Hang on. Oh, sorry. Vern <laughs> hind legs, they walk like a bat. Dragons, four legs. They have the wings are separate wings. Wyverns have prehensile wings. Anyway, the whole spectacle was smog and the CG was smog. It, that was my defining Hobbit moment. That was, holy crap, this dragon is awesome. And Benedict Cumberbatch, they couldn't have cast him better uh, if they tried. Yeah, he was the perfect voice, yes. Yes. Nice little Sherlock re- reunion there as well. Yeah. See, every time <laughs> I the Hobbit, I hear Benedict Cumberbatch as smog in my head. Nice. Yes. <laughs> so if anyone is Christmas shopping for Denise, we, we know what to get for her. The smog merchandise. I do have a quick question. I don't know if anyone has an opinion on this or not. Does anyone think it might have been significantly different if they had been able to keep Guillermo del Toro? I think it would have been a different Middle Earth. Like, I think maybe it would have been easier. I'm sure the studio still would have slammed a bunch of the stuff we dislike into the movie. But I think maybe I wouldn't have felt so... I feel like Lord of the Rings tried so hard to stay true as much as they could, but, you know, while still accounting for time other than Helm's Deep. Yeah. But not that I'm bitter about that. No. But, <laughs> but um, I'm there with you, though. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm all kind of there with you. Yeah, but I feel and like... And that's fine so long as you're not an elf. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, uh, you know, Guillermo probably would have had, like, an entirely different flavor of Middle Earth. So I wouldn't have felt, like, like I seriously doubt Legolas would have been in the movie. Maybe he would have, but if he was, he would have been a very different Legolas than I think we had. Like, a director has so much influence on everything. And I, re- I would pay anything to see some of the concept art, which I know exists, but nobody's oh. seen it. From Guillermo's, right? Like, and, and, you know, just the stuff that's kind of, like, leaked out about it a little bit was just that it was so different, which I think mm. wouldn't have been a bad thing. It probably would have been a little jarring for most audiences to jump from the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings to Guillermo del Toro's The Hobbit, but I would have been fascinated. I was, I would be oh, really... Oh, imagine his orcs. His orcs. Ooh. Yes. Uh, I, I think Guillermo del Toro... I think story-wise, I, I don't know as though I would have enjoyed that. I mean, I'm not sure because I read the strain where he wrote with Chuck Hogan and I just, I gave up on the strain. And it's just like, guys. But anyway, that's not the point. I think aesthetically, 
Guillermo del Toro would have just been it would have been a completely different Middle Earth. I think it, it I think it would have been a lot uh, like Mirkwood would have been a lot more surreal than it was. I think a lot of where Guillermo del Toro shines is when he can bring in the surreal and make it just this glorious, weirdly twisted, just amazing thing like Pan's Labyrinth and the Hellboy series, and it, it would have been so aesthetically beautiful. I don't know how, as though I would have preferred a Guillermo del Toro story. Right. I really don't know. That's a really good question. Aesthetically, yes. Oh, my God, yes. Please. (laughs) Please. All those 60s, 70s Tolkien covers from from the hippie times. Mm. Aesthetically, give me del Toro all day. Now, as far as an exercise in color theory... I think The Hobbit was shot brilliantly. Oh, my, the blues and, and the golds and just, oh, I love the colors. It's such a sumptuous movie. Story-wise, I really don't know. That's a really good question as far as Guillermo del Toro. Not that he's bad. I just, I don't know. I can't kind of wrap my head around that one. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest variable would be the writers and how much the studio would jam in there. If they're still going to jam in the cheesy love story and the barrel chase scene, I don't know, even if the vision are different whether it would have been any better i don't know do, do yeah. you think that uh, the, they said with lord of the rings that ian mckellen that he fought to keep gandalf's words directly from the book yes mm-hmm. he continually forgot and so do you think that the hobbit there wasn't gandalf didn't have that he didn't have as good of lines as he did in lord of the rings of course i i think because Ian McKellen, it's famous that Ian McKellen did not want to return to Lord of the Rings or anything to do with the Lord of the Rings. So it was, I can't remember who convinced him to come back, but somebody convinced him to come back because, I mean, it wouldn't be Gandalf without Gandalf. I think there's a measure of we're returning to Middle Earth. We want to go back to Middle Earth, but come on, guys, we can make other things. You know, I, I think there is that mix in there where the Lord of the Rings was such this huge thing and everybody loved it and the studios took a chance on it and it was awesome. And now it's almost like pandering, you know, and I don't, I don't want to say pandering because that's rude, but it's almost like we're coming back because we have to, not necessarily because we want to. Yeah. And the whole movie kind of has that feel to it. Like Peter Jackson didn't necessarily want to return to Miller, but he was, they threw money at him or whatever they did to get him to return (laughs) to and actually, Ian McKellen is on record talking about how he broke down crying a couple of times when they were filming green screen scenes with him and the dwarves and Bilbo because it was so difficult for him because he's basically in a giant green screen room with pictures of the characters lighting up mm. so he knows where to act at them. So he's basically in a room by himself acting at little pictures. So yeah. he literally like broke down. He's like, this isn't acting. I don't know what I'm doing. So if you watch some of the extended pieces on the filming of it, it's very impressive from a CGI post-production standpoint point but as an actor i mean i can't even imagine how awful that would be and ian mckellen and a lot of the cast they were theater actors so you know they were shakespearean they they performed in the globe theater they had they have these illustrious careers behind them and and to sit there and to have movies go from really acting with other characters and and pretending like you're listening to somebody on the other end of the phone to green screen that's got to be such a blow to any actor Mm. television screen movie screen which whichever screen you want to think it's got to be a blow because I mean, really, that's what movies. A lot of movies have come down to these days, and it looks great from the theater seat. But you got to imagine being in that room, going, "You got to be insert favorite expletive here." Kidding me? 
Right. Well, and for Lord of the Rings, they worked so hard to film as much of it as they could practically. Right. You know, and you really see it. They went and they built all these places and everyone was really there. And they did do some green screen work, but they had amazing, like so many of the orcs were actually people just in crazy outfits doing stunt work and things like that. But you got the sense that green screen was a part of it, but it wasn't the whole story. Yeah. And I, I feel definitely when I, my husband does post-production work, so I'm really like, mm-hmm. in, you know, involved in that world a little bit too. When you watch The Hobbit, you feel like you're watching a giant post-production. Yeah. It just yeah. has the feel of people. And it's it, most of it's very well done, so it doesn't look bad necessarily, but you just kind of know. You just, yeah. I don't know why. I, I think the danger with movies becoming big budget, like the Underworld movies, the first Underworld was awesome because it was done practically. It was done on a shoestring budget. They had to figure out how to make this movie work. It was a great movie. And then they had money thrown at it. And the other movies, they were just awful because, well, we have money. Why not make it bigger? Why not make it better? Well, you don't have to do that. You can have money. Money is a great thing to have. But what people really like are movies that actually feel realistic. They feel like you took the time, you went out on location, you shot, you you had to sit there until god-awful early in the morning, zero dark 30, and you're like, oh my god, I want to die. And you don't get that with big budget movies. It's like Star Wars 1, 2, and 3, which I refuse to accept into canon. I have to. They do not exist. They are awful, awful movies. (laughs) That's another CGI epic thing going on there, too. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And the the first, not the first, but the original trilogy, 4, 5, 6, it's almost all done practically or by miniature. Then you compare that with the prequels that come out, and there's just like a difference in the reality. Well, and you kind of... Going back to the Del Toro thing and, and the Hellboy, most of the effects are practical. Yeah. Del Toro is really known for that, like the Goblin Market in the second in Golden Army. That's all yeah. practical Gorgeous. effects. It is. It Gorgeous. is. So to bring that back around, a Hobbit done practically with a lot of that stuff. Because you can look at Hobbiton. Hobbiton's done practically. Yeah. But so much of the other stuff, yeah, the whole spectacle, the whole, I don't know, last half of the Battle of Five Armies or the Battle yeah. of the Five Armies. I didn't, anyway. It's all right. Sorry. Battle of Five Armies, Battle of Five. They all fought. <laughs> they all yeah. in there and had a squabble. And if their mothers could have seen them, they would have been severely disappointed. Yeah. How dare they? <laughs> Which I'd like to point out really isn't really in the book. Yeah, it's you know, not. Bilbo's knocked out and then conscious for the actual, for yeah. the, most of the yeah. battle. And he wakes yeah. up. So it's not even really That's in the book. not even there. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that, that happened in, in the Lord of the Rings, too. That's and, the final battle outside yeah. the gate, the Black Gate. Yeah, and I want to know, mm-hmm. I really, really want to know, and it, I'm sure it'll be there on the extended edition of The Hobbit, the third movie. What was up, and forgive me, I don't remember names that well, what was up with the dwarf on the goat with the Beowulf complex? Why was that even, why was <laughs> CGing him even necessary? I mean, I like motion capture. It's great. You know, the Lord of the um, Rings really brought him into of- the front, but what the hell? Are you talking about uh, what was it? Was it Dan? Was it was was that Billy Connolly? Yeah, it was it was no, Billy Connolly? It was, or? it was the guy on on the war pig. He was uh, Thorin's cousin or something uh, from. Oh my god, my geography fails me. The Iron Hills. Yes, from the Iron Hills. Thank you. That's they they cheated. him. They completely motion captured him, and I don't know why. Like why? Why it was weird. It, it was jarring in the movie. It's like what? Why? Why did you do that thing? Good lord! I just checked IMDb. Dan, yes, that. Was Billy Connolly? Seriously? Oh my God! Wow. Okay. <laughs> Billy Connolly, I am so sorry. It's fascinating. He was well. He was almost unrecognizable. It was his voice, I think, mm-hmm. that when he uh, right. But they CG. They CG the entire character. It's like, why was that necessary? Yeah. Why? You know, I kind of liked that character, but I I was thinking to myself, why is this 
dwarf here. <laughs> we were all thinking this, that, dear. This is, yes, this is kind of us. Yeah, well, I just want to go around and see if anyone has any final thoughts before we wrap things up. And uh, I'm going to start back again with Kimmy. Did you have any final thoughts? Anything you wanted to say before we close things up here? Uh, no, I feel like we talked a lot about different things. I will, I think, after this discussion, just so I can be informed, go ahead and see the Battle of Five Armies at some point. Maybe I'll do it like when it's on Netflix or something, yeah. so I can, don't have to actually give money to show that I cared about that. Yeah, do it but, in nerd rage. In, in- yeah. Oh, yeah. my poor husband. Oh, my. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, I, I mean, to kind of sum up my, my point of view on the two sets of movies, um, Lord of the Rings changed things and cut things for the most part, other than Helm's Deep, to shorten things, to make it concise and make it fit in the time frame. And I feel like my biggest pet peeve with The Hobbit is them doing the opposite is them just throwing everything and the kitchen sink and other kitchen sinks that they made up into it (laughs) to make it as long as they could to pull more ticket sales from us. And Mm. it just seems like just the, I don't know, it just seems very presumptuous for people to say, oh, well, you know, I can write as well as Tolkien or I can add or improve upon Tolkien's story. And I don't know, but I think that's the yeah. biggest thing for me as a as a huge Tolkien fan is that they feel that they can improve on something which I already think is pretty amazing. There is kind of a line there. Yeah. Um, there's there's that line between homage and I can do better than this, and so that's yeah, that's very careful. Hubris, <laughs> hubris the yeah. hubris line. <laughs> oh dear, I yeah, I don't know whether I feel that whether this was hubris or not, but it's uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, I can definitely see that. Yeah. Own it. John, did you have any final thoughts um, you wanted to share? I don't want it to come off like a. I'm, I'm a total hater of, of this stuff. And, and like I said, there are these pieces that I loved and I liked some of the foreshadowing back call, whatever you want to call it, where they were making links between the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings because Tolkien did some of that. But the plot hammer version of that, where everything had to be a correlation, that bothered me. But all in all, I'm waiting for somebody really good on the internet to take all three movies and edit out the bad stuff and <laughs> smash it together and give me, I don't know, there are versions of the Star Wars prequels where they went and edited out Jar Jar Binks and oh, other characters <laughs> and made a coherent story out of it. And I think that could be done here and and, and, you know, say, oh, here, we'll follow the book, and this is this, this, this. So, enter it. If you have access to raw footage, you can do it. I mean, it's yeah. all about getting access to the raw footage and editing so, it. So, send your outlaw <laughs> Hobbit edits to John at crucibleofrealms.com. And, uh, Denise, did you have any final thoughts? Um, I think... Overall, again, overall, I enjoyed the movies. Just cinematically, I enjoyed them. Lord of the Rings much more than I enjoyed The Hobbit. Now, the first two Hobbit movies much more than the third Hobbit movie. I think they're fantastic. You know, like I said, The Lord of the Rings is a fantastic representation of Tolkien. And I think it stayed much truer to Tolkien than um, The Hobbit did. I think The Hobbit tried to do way too much, and it very much showed in the third movie. And I think the third Hobbit movie is, is really a reflection of when a studio puts its grubby hands into something and says, we want this to happen. And again, my biggest pet peeve is the complete agency that they took away from Tariel. I loved yeah. Tariel. I wanted Tariel to be this awesome Eowyn-like character. 
and they failed me. And and that was the biggest disappointment that I had with the Hobbit movies, that they, they took this potentially great character that they just inserted into the movies because Peter Jackson inserted her into the movie, and they took her awesome away. So do you think if they, if they had a Tariel spinoff in the works that uh, you'd be there for her? <laughs> I would. If they, if they gave Tariel like this, you know, even if they wrote a book about Tariel, I think I would I would be there. I would be there to, to read it. Not not the Peggy Carter insofar as Peggy Carter is trying to get over Steve, but the Peggy Carter that kicks ass Peggy Carter. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, if, they, if they wrote that Tariel book, I, w- I would read that Tariel book. I would totally be there for her. <laughs> Ah, yes. Well, perhaps we have some fan fiction to look forward to soon. (laughs) Probably already exists, frankly. Yeah, this is true. This is the internet we're talking about. Uh, Oh, yes. I keep forgetting. Terrible internet. Uh, um, (laughs) We're going to go around one more time to give everyone their due here. Uh, Unfortunately, as uh, those of you listening may have put together by this point, Richard Rowland had to leave us. He had to go, unfortunately. But uh, anyone who wants to check out his stuff, please go to grapplegunpublishing.com. You can also find his podcast, which he looks like he hasn't done in a little while, but which looks like he's still got stuff up on at grapplegun.tumblr.com. So I urge folks to check that out. So, Kimmy, do you have any projects or anything you're working on right now? Anything you want to promote? I always like promoting my website, which is goldenlasso.net. Um, I'm a huge fan of Wonder Woman, if you didn't pick that up from the title, um, where I talk about cosplay, costuming, comic books, movies, and gaming, tabletop, and video game and crafting and getting in shape, which I also like to do. I don't know. There's lots of stuff there. Pretty much whatever I feel like writing about is there. And I also would like to plug my other podcast, the Happy Jacks RPG podcast, where we talk about lots of different tabletop RPG systems and focus a lot on GMing and DMing and drinking, which is always fun. Indeed. <laughs> it is an awesome show. Thank you. And uh, I, I urge anyone who is into tabletop RPGs to check it out. Yes. It's very cool. Yes, it's not for the, the faintest part or the very young, though. I do. Yes, not often. safe for work. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but it, is, uh, it is a very cool podcast. And uh, mostly I connected to it because so many of the folks are uh, involved in theatrical stuff and Ren Fair, which I, I was as a very young lad. Absolutely. And, uh, it's a good thing. So it's a it very is. cool thing. Right? Very good. John, is there anything you wanted to promote or talk about before we go? Other than, than our other podcast, Crucible Realms, <laughs> where we, we try to uh, brainstorm a world up in about an hour. Well, not necessarily a world, but something yeah. in about an hour. Kind of world building. Have a good time. Check it out. Still doing editing on a lot of our backlog that we have. We've still got a bunch of episodes recorded on that that I'm trying to uh, f- finish getting out. But those are rolling out. So, yeah, anyone wants to check that out, go to CrucibleOfRealms.com. And, Denise, did you have anything? Uh, you've got going you wanted to mention to us I briefly. Do. Anybody, anybody who likes crazy people that like to rant can check out my website at <laughs> accessoriesnotincluded.com where I talk about writing, my trials and tribulations and such. I'm going to actually start doing a comic, just a fun little comic strip post every now and again, and it will be where I post all of my book covers for sale. I do design book covers that are reasonably priced, so anyone in the market can come take a look and see if they like what I have to offer. My superhero fairy tale story will be out later on this year. 
I can't talk about it much because it is in progress, but you can check out my blog to get all the latest updates on it. That's where I'll be. Awesome. And, uh, oh, we also forgot to plug anyone's Twitters if they want to do that. Kimmy, did you have a Twitter you wanted to share? I do. I, I am Golden Lasso Girl on Twitter and Instagram. Denise, did you have a Twitter or other social media thing you wanted to I am. To? I am Riley James Keith on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me and my Funko adventures on Instagram. It's fun. Coolness. I have I have a collection. I'm obsessed. It's it's a problem. I can quit anytime I want. <laughs> really, really you can. Yes, I can. I swear. <laughs> at any time. Maybe tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> for at least an hour. Yes. Yes. Maybe. John, did you have are you on Twitter, John, or are you uh contact? Or we can stalk you I mean follow you. Yes. It's yes. night flight, one word. K N I G H T flight F L I G H T. Okay. Alliteration is fun. Very cool. <laughs> and uh of course, anyone who wants to follow me on Twitter, I am OtherDoc, O-T-H-E-R-D-O-C. And uh, I'm not on Twitter as much uh, these days as I once was, but uh, these things happen. I try to get on there at least like once a day if I can, or once every other day, and say something incredibly strange and non-sequitur and then go back into my cave. <laughs> So thanks, folks, very much for coming on and talking to me about this. I feel pleased and privileged that uh, you folks showed up and came to have a chat about this. Well, thank you. It was fun. It was fun. Awesome. And thank you, folks, for listening. Take care.